One of our elders, as was mentioned, uh, wrote that liturgy for sanctity of life, grieving corporately. And uh, I just want to thank you, brother, for writing that. That was really beautiful. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Sarah, for leading in that. Um, it's, it's a beautiful way for us to worship together as we, as we prayerfully lament. And as Mark said, it is timely as uh, we sometimes don't plan these things, but they work for our formation. Today, our text that we're looking at is one verse. It's one verse because we are slowly walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And that one verse in Matthew 5, verse 4, is this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For those of you who haven't been with us, and that's okay if you haven't, we always need to kind of take a step back and frame where we're at, what season we believe God has us in. And we're looking at Jesus' sermon, his sermon on, on the mount, as St. Augustine decided to call it, and we've stuck with that title for 1,600 years. Uh, this is Jesus' manifesto of the good life. It's his, his statement, this is the good life. If you Google, you can do this. I did it yesterday. The Good Life Manifesto. You will get a ton of products, like things that are being sold. And it's like all these Etsy and Pinterest links. I'm not kidding. And for $24.99 on average, you can buy these like posters. Matt, I have a couple. You won't be able to read them but I wanted you to see how beautifully designed they are. And you can buy these and you can put them up on your, on your wall. Uh, various self-proclaimed good life gurus, usually in their mid-20s, write these. And, and uh, I, sorry, I'm super old, in my 30s. Um, I, I kind of, I read few, through a few of them and I, I want to read... This is my version of like three of them, uh, abbreviated and synthesized. Here we go. You ready? These are, uh, th these are the mantras of our day. We, we, there's this word, uh, blessed. Remember that word, blessed? It's makarios. We talked about makarisms, which is a, a very strange word. Uh, but it's, it, these right here are the makarisms of our day. These are the, the, the statements of the happy person, Okay the macarisms of our day. If that doesn't mean anything to you, you can listen to the last two weeks. Macarisms of our day, here we go. Let's begin. This is your life. We could stop right there. This is your life, that's, that's a statement. Uh, this is your life, do what you love and do it often. Dare to live your dreams, it is what you were meant to do. Um, be your own beautiful, radiant, unique self every single day, no matter what. If I did that one, my wife would have a thing, my own beautiful, radiant self. She's like, mm-hmm, okay. Uh, have faith 
that you are exactly where you need to be. If you are looking for the love of your life, stop. They will be waiting for you when you start doing things you love. Single people, stop whining. Just that, it's that simple, okay? Just stop. Uh, still, more. Be true to yourself. For happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. Trust that you are the source of everything you can ever want or need. Stop overanalyzing. This is my favorite one. It's right in the middle of the right side. Life is simple. Like, what? Life is simple. Do you see it in the middle of the right side? Life is simple. Good night. Bless your heart. Uh, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this. Some opportunities only come once. Seize them. Life is short. Live your dreams and share your passion. Okay. The macrisms of our day. If you scrape <coughs> the thick layer of cheese off of that, you might find like a few nuggets that are like slightly in line with Jesus, but mostly it's completely contradictory to Jesus' manifesto, right? But Jesus' manifesto, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, let's be honest, if Jesus was in need of a side hustle along his carpentry business and decided, you know what, I got some things to say. I'm going to get on Instagram. I think I can create a, a following. Uh, if he posted this stuff that he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. It's like, don't quit your day job, Jesus. You're not going to... You're not, that's not going to get enough of a following. But these slogans, I mean, we're kind of laughing at them, but often these are, the, these are like the answers you give at a job interview. Like, tell me about yourself. And you kinda, we kind of give these mantras, right? Imagine using Jesus' mantras at a job interview. So Dawson, um, thanks for applying for this job. Tell us about yourself. Okay, well, let's see, I'm a uh, poor in spirit, I'm uh, meek, um, I mourn, they'll be like, okay. Moving on, uh, tell us, what do, you do in, what do you do in your spare time? My spare time, oh, I, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like this, this doesn't work. Jesus' mantras, it's an upside down manifesto. It's a manifesto, though, for the real world. And for real life, which is not simple. It is not simple. So enough of that kind of framing. We, uh, we're going to slow down. And quite frankly, we're going to switch tone here a little bit from me making these jabs. And uh, because... We want our tone to fit the tone of our text today. And did you hear the tone of our text? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And uh, if you were here last week, I'm going to do a little bit of preaching up here. 
And then we actually are creating space in this sermon series um, for real dialogue. I'm going to come down here. Another elder is going to join me. And we're going to have conversation. And we're going to have the same questions that we had last week. And I'm giving to you now so that as I preach on this one verse, you can jot things down. And the two questions that I want to ask, same as last week, is how is the Spirit challenging you? And how is the Spirit comforting you? And my hope is that both of those things, that all of us are willing to open ourselves up for both. Because we need both. And one's not more important than the other. Jesus will direct us and he will comfort us. Let me pray for us and then we'll look at this. Jesus, thank you that you are our comforter. And you also are our challenger. And you don't hold those things in tension at all. You can multitask those two things so well. And you can convict us and comfort us sometimes in the same kind word. So do that right now. Amen. So blessed are those who mourn. Those who truly see and don't stuff or minimize the brokenness that's around them, that's happened to them, and that is in them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus has, he's on a a little hill, and he has real people sitting around him. But brothers and sisters, remember that Jesus... The son of God, though he is sitting and looking at people in the eye, he also, this is absolutely crazy. He is sitting down on a hill 2,000 years ago, and he is thinking about your story as he says these words. Isn't that crazy? Like he, He has the capacity and knows that one day he will challenge and comfort Dawson Jones standing up here and George Sheffy sitting right there and Kyleo and Kenny right there. He like has your names and your stories in his mind and in his, his heart as he preaches a sermon. So Jesus knew you when he said these words and he knew that you would need his sermon. He knew you would need this one line of his sermon. So Jesus, the comforter, knows the people of Soma Tacoma and of Tacoma. He knows. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm going I'm to give you a list of the stories he knows. He knows the story of the couple in Tacoma who just found out that they miscarried, perhaps for the third time. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He knows the wife at St. Joe's who finds that her husband's cancer is, is not in, is, is, is coming back. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. He knows the pain of a, of a son, an adult son, who is called to pick up his wasted father at 2 a.m. from a pub. 
Blessed are those who mourn. He sees the teenager who is cutting herself to find relief from her painful life. Jesus sees those whose adoption didn't go through and those who are feeling the heavy pain of fostering a kid with severe trauma from their family of origin. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus has in mind a people, a nation who see the murderous injustice of killing helpless babies in a womb or a nation whose incarceration rates are disproportionately unbalanced based on the color of people's skin. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus sees you and knows your story if it involves neglect or abuse or betrayal from people who are supposed to protect you. That could be your mom, your dad, your pastor, elders. It could be friends who suddenly turned, suddenly turned. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Jesus sees the man who shuts his computer in utter shame after his wife is asleep or the mother who blows up on her kids in part because she's two wine glasses in at 4.30 p.m. Jesus is speaking these words over those who receive news that their family member has been taken in a bizarre car accident or an overdose or suicide. Jesus sees the lonely and the lustful, those who've experienced loss. Jesus sees the depressed, the discouraged, those who are around, who are around death. Jesus sees the sinners and the sinned against. So Jesus has real people in mind. He has you in mind if you're his disciple. And I know that was a lot that I just said. It was a lot. And brokenness is really complex. And I just hit on a lot of types of brokenness. And I do know, I do recognize that many of you probably felt different aspects. Again, I pray that Jesus comforts you today, even as he challenges you. But that complex, like, cluster of brokenness is what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are those who mourn. He is talking about all of it. And you've heard us probably do some teaching on this in the past, and you can throw up this slide, the next slide, this holistic view of brokenness. What Jesus has in mind when he said, blessed are those who mourn, he's talking about his disciples, we'll get to that in a second, his disciples, his followers, who are mourning over all of it, starting with sin, the brokenness and rebellion within. It's our greatest problem. And we have been, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, but we are still being saved from the power of sin. 
right? You feel that in your own life? We have not yet been saved from the presence of sin. and We will one day. We see Jesus face to face. No more sin. We'll have new hearts. We'd have new hearts that want to obey, but find, as Paul did, that there's still this remnant of sinful nature in us, right? Do I need to teach on that, or do you guys know that about yourself? Do you feel that? Then there's trauma. The sin that happened to you in your story or to your people. We've all experienced suffering, being wounded by other people's sin. Broken, dysfunctional, dysfunctional family of origin, abuse, emotional, physical, spiritual, sexual. This can be abandonment. It can be neglect. And by the way, trauma I've come to find in the last few years of working through my story, trauma is not just bad things happening to you. Trauma is bad things happening to you when you're alone. If you need to categorize things, we can actually go through a lot of hard things when we have comfort of another person. But often those things happen and we're completely alone. And while we own our own sinful response to trauma, because often trauma leads to us sinning, we do not own the sin, shame, and guilt of those who inflicted the trauma on us. That's really important. And distinguishing between false guilt, false guilt and healthy conviction is sometimes a lifelong process. And it requires time and patience and care of other people. But I do want to tell you, and I, I wish I could spend all day teaching on this, that trauma does need to be grieved and healed. And you do not need to repent of the trauma that happened to you. And then there's a third category, it's trouble. Trouble is the brokenness of the world that happens that you can't point to anyone and say you caused this. This is natural disasters. This is sickness. This is pandemics. This is broken cars and leaking roofs and kids that keep getting up at night. Good grief. They will not stop. Uh, It's uh, phones that don't work, layoffs, career changes. And often those things, this trouble, that car that won't start, they're really helpful triggers to flesh out the stuff inside us. (laughs) Where you're like suddenly having a conversation with your car. You're like, where'd that come from? Sin and trauma. (laughs) Finally, there's another aspect. Um, There's a real enemy who's paying attention to all this. Satan, he's a real enemy. We don't talk about him. It's like an Ancanto, we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about this Satan guy who's actually knows your mess and he's actively involved. Your story is marked by trauma and trouble and sin and Satan. And Jesus knows that when he says, blessed are those who mourn. Your story is, is a mess, whether you've examined it or not. And sadly, 
and again, I won't teach on this, but sadly, we live in a world, you can throw this next slide up, we live in a world where sins are often treated as wounds. And we sometimes live in a church world where wounds are often treated as sin. And again, I wish I could teach on that for a long time, but this is why it's confusing when you look at the mess of your life. We live in a, especially Tacoma. Tacoma, I mean, there's a good movement over the last couple decades of looking at the trauma. But without King Jesus in the middle, middle of it, it's a therapeutic, cluster, cuss, confusing mess. Where, no, 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 no. It's not all wounds. You have, you have a rebellious heart too. <laughs> but then we live in, the, in a church world and especially, I'm going to say this, we, we're, we are um, confessing uh, reformed Jesus followers. And sometimes in this reformed vein, there can be a strange minimizing of real wounds. And we're correcting people before coming alongside them and walking in their story. Again, I wish I could teach on that. We actually did teach on that on a, a little, our little Soma lab that we had last Sunday night. And if you missed it, sorry, no, just kidding. If you missed it, we recorded it. We have a video and we will send that out to you this week, okay? So, goodness, man, this is like heavy stuff. I knew it would be. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. If you know that you need to work through your wounds and you're scared, this, we want this to be a safe place to do that. Just like we want it to be a safe place to work through your sin, okay? So you can talk to me if I seem safe or you can talk to other leaders. And we'd love to do this with you. That is like why, why we equip some people, why, we like, why I'm paid in great part is, is to do that and then we have so many MC leaders who are not paid, who steward their time to walk through your story with you, okay? Jesus, help those who need to process the pain of their life. Couple things, two things Jesus is not saying about mourning. Two things. He is not saying, blessed are those who suffer. He's not saying, happy are those who are sad. That's just a straight up oxymoron. And very confusing. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. Suffering is not a blessing, okay? I mean, it can, blessings can come out of it, but it is not, it is not a blessing. It, is, it was not intended in the beginning. Death was not meant to be. Brokenness was not meant to be, okay? So he's not saying, and that's, we got to be careful around that. Blessed are those who suffer. Suffer is good. He's not saying that. He's saying blessed are those who mourn. Second thing he's not saying is he's not giving this universal promise to everyone on the planet that if you mourn, you'll be comforted. And this is why it's important to, to gather weekly and walk through a season together as a church because without what, what my brother and elder Ben did last week, we can't talk about mourning because Jesus opens the door to begin this conversation by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying, blessed are the needy. In other words, he is not talking 
to everyone on the planet. He's talking to those who've fallen down and said, I need you, I will follow you. And he's saying, if you will keep me, you will be blessed in your suffering. I will be with you in your mourning. You will be comforted, okay? So he actually is speaking to his people. There is some, there is some common grace care for people who are far from Jesus, when they experience the comfort of another person, it really is comforting, but ultimately it's not. It won't last. Okay, so two things he's saying, two things he's not saying. When Jesus says the word mourn, I think that's my next slide, mourn, um, that word, it's a very biblical word, Jesus knows this, and so he, he can use this word knowing that it, There's an entire library of scripture that already has come that has that holistic view of brokenness in mind, okay? So if you do a word study on this word, you will find that it means to cry over someone who's died. It means to lament. It means to grieve. But it also is very connected to guilt, to, to repentance over one's sin. He knows that. He knows that. So, oh dear. Hold on. I've got to find page seven. There we go. So he knows that. He's drawing on the whole library of scripture. There's a book called Lamentations. There's a prophet who is the weeping prophet named Jeremiah. There's a story of Job that's very helpful for us. The Psalms, by some estimates, carry uh, some level of lament in over half of them. Our current worship songs do not reflect that, although I do believe our worship leaders here have done a great job of finding that balance. So in this sermon, Jesus is drawing on all of that, to mo- he's talking about mourning, lamenting, grieving, and feeling guilt. Real quickly, some of you are <clears throat> questioning how, 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 good, how good am I at this? How good am I at grieving? There are alternatives to mourning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out three, and maybe in the discussion you might, you might throw out some more. Three alternatives. I don't wanna mourn. I don't wanna feel it. I don't wanna feel all this stuff. So what do we do? We have options. They're not great, but we have options. We have repression and retreat and resignation as options. Repression, you bottle it up. You bottle it up. Your whole story, you just bottle it up. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to let it out. Bottling up usually leads to outbursts (laughs) of rage. People get triggered when something touches on a wounded part of their story. I, I sometimes notice this with people. There's a little mantra that some of us uh, Soma pastors use that if it's hysterical, it's historical. Sometimes I like, I'll hear people, I'm like, whoa, what in the, like all this stuff is coming out. It's like hysterical. And I'm like, there's a story behind that one. And it's like something's pressed on a wound, an, eight, an old wound. And it's a wound of, of, of like many wounds that like, and so you press on that thing and the reaction is crazy. It's because it's historical. There's something that's been happening. Bottle it up. 
That's repression. Retreat. This is, I want to avoid all pain. I'll seek pleasure, comfort to avoid the pain of my life. Um, it can lead to addiction, self-medication, obsessing, controlling aspects of my life, anything to numb and avoid the pain of life. These addictions can be socially taboo, like drugs, or very acceptable, like career or religion. Leading a missional community can literally be an addiction, an obsession, pastoring people that helps you not deal with the pain of your own life. It's crazy. That's why Jesus says, hey, hold up. You don't, <laughs> blessed are those who mourn. You can slow down and grieve what's happened to you and what's in you. And then resignation, that's, it's just, it's not sadness, but it is like this despair. It's what scripture, I think, calls a, a worldly sorrow that leads to death. It's this melancholy acceptance, a pessimism, a hard-heartedness. The world is too dark. It's too much. And it can be heavy. And it can be, people can live in this dark season. It can be seasonal or it can stick. And um, intermixed in this, is something that I think is really uh, helpful throughout there, is self-pity. And in my last few years of me working through my story and my inability to be sad over my story, I've had some helpful people lead me in weeping over my story. I realized I was really good at self-pity. And what self-pity is, is I'm not able to be sad over my story, so I'm going to or, or what's happening in my life right now, my circumstances. So I'm gonna make you be sad for me. That's what self-pity is. That's what self-pity is. That's intermixed with all those things. So those are the alternatives. Needless to say, they're not great ones. They're not good options. And Jesus says, no, blessed are those who mourn. And so the gifts of mourning... I want to briefly walk through the gifts, gifts of mourning. What, why? Why is he saying blessed are those who mourn? I'm just mention three. Again, maybe in our discussion, we'll talk about more or different aspects. But it's the presence of God in mourning. It's healing in mourning. And it's empathy. Presence of God. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The spirit of God is called the comforter. A similar word to this word comfort. Many people, many people, it's my experience, and I've, when I've been with people in the hardest moments of their life that are clinging to Jesus, they say, I don't, this is rough, but I've never felt the presence of God be so dense. And therapists would have their take on that. <laughs> but we have testimonies. People saying, I was cared for. I was cared for. I am being cared for presence of God. Healing. Jesus knows that we need to heal. And it will come eventually fully, but he wants us to experience healing now in this community. They say that funerals are for the living. My dad was just here. Some of you got to meet him last week and a man that he really loved passed away while he was here. 
And he wanted to go back in time for the funeral, but not for him, not for the guy that passed away. He knew that he wanted to be with brothers and sisters who were impacted by this man's life and for them to grieve and to lament and to give thanks. We need healing. Katie Luce is a writer. She's a mother who lost, this is probably one of the greatest loss I can think of, a two-year-old daughter. She lost a two-year-old daughter. And she writes this, grief is a non-linear, I think I have a quote, maybe not. Grief is a non-linear aggressive friend. Pain does not like to be pushed. It needs to be validated and then healed. Grief is a divinely designated gift to process pain. It cannot be rushed. It cannot be directed. It cannot be prescribed. It must be embraced. Holy as it comes. It must be respected deeply, faithfully. It is both holy and terrible. We grieve, though, because we love. That's why we grieve. The last gift I'm going to mention is empathy. We start to see others. The Holy Spirit, the comforter, lives in us, and we actually can be conduits of comfort. It's amazing. Second Corinthians in chapter 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God could have just decided, you know what, I will be the giver of comfort. And instead he says, no, I will use my people to comfort. This is the heart of our father. A couple of do nots, a couple of do nots, and there's probably a lot more of these. But a couple of do nots, not donuts, but do nots. It looks really weird on my page here. Uh, have you ever been around in a, in, a, in a meeting, in a setting, someone starts crying, and you like rush to go get the hankies, the tears need to stop? <laughs> That's what we're doing in that moment. It's to be clear, it's great to have, I have, we have Kleenexes on our living room table for that purpose, but we are so quick. Oh no. Oh, she's not doing well. I don't know what to do right now. You want, do you need these Kleenexes? Like that's our best attempt to, to be present with somebody who's crying, with crying, who's crying. Um, we we uh, are quick to compare and minimize pain. I heard a story, somebody who was, was, they were wanting to have a third child and they just, they couldn't get pregnant again. And this person's sister was, was on the phone and, and, and they were talking and, and she's just, she's expressing, oh, we, just want, we just want another child. And the sister said, well, at least you already have two kids. That doesn't help. That doesn't help with the longing. That's again where in church circles, we can sometimes use the sovereignty of God, which is our comfort, absolutely. But that is not a good card to play when someone is longing. Yes, of course he's sovereign, but he's also sad. We minimize, we compare. Some of you know that our little Augie, our third child, was diagnosed with level two autism. 
So we're getting to know him and he's such a good guide for me. He's, he's very, um, he's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I continually am curious about what all I will learn about the heart of God from him. But he has, he's beginning to talk, which is huge because he couldn't for three years and, uh, and he's getting a lot of therapy and stuff with that. So he's beginning to talk but I just love noticing how he talks. And he has one phrase, and it is, oh, no. Oh, no. But I love, in his mind, he does not, it applies to everything. Oh, no can be like he fell out of a swing and it's really hurting. Or it can be the other day, he's like, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm in the other room and I'm like, oh, goodness, what's going on? And he's like, oh, no. And I come in there and he's, he's under the couch and he's trying to get his balloon that flew under the couch. And I, I was, as I was preparing my sermon, I was like, we can lament that we can't reach the balloon. Like, that's okay. It's okay. We don't need to minimize any of the trouble in our life or the trauma. And we need to be good, good friends, not Job's friends, who can actually sit with someone and we don't say, well, you already have two kids. Remember that? No. We can long and we can sit. Um, I'm going to stop with the do nots. There might be some more. Sometimes all you need to give is presence and tears. It's all you need. Uh, I have friends who lead a 24-7 nonstop prayer uh, chain in Missouri. And uh, I heard this story. Um, they, have, they had like an actual physical like prayer closet and they wanted people to come in. It's, it's a beautiful practice. We might do it one day. They have people coming in and you know, they have this prayer chain that's been going on forever, all, night, all through every hour of the night. And this woman comes to the pastor, she had like a 2 a.m. shift, and she says, Pastor Gary, I am so sorry, but I broke the chain. I broke the chain. And he's a good pastor, so he's assuming she like overslept, didn't come in. She's like, oh, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Like, it's no big deal. It's not, it's no big deal. It, it, you know, th these things happen. You oversleep. She says, oh, I didn't oversleep. I was there, but I couldn't pray because I just started crying, and I just... Spent my whole hour crying. I couldn't get to prayer. And he said, oh, sister, you have no idea. That's praying. You are doing the work of praying. And he said, he told her this line uh, from Eugene Peterson. History is lubricated with tears, sister. Our tears are a form of prayers. They move history forward. They move our personal histories forward. And they move us a people's history forward. We are a church family with a history. And they move nations forward. We are a nation with a history. So as we're mourning, Jesus has all this together. He knows that we need to mourn personal sin and that we need to mourn communal sin. Now, I want to invite you today, if perhaps you, you need this invitation, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. I don't have that up there, but let me unpack that real quick. That's a short little verse that's an invitation to the good life of redemption through Jesus Christ. I grieve my sin. 
It leads to sorrow. It leads to turning, to repentance, and it brings salvation, and I can live a life with no regrets. That's in the verse. Jesus says, I have a good life for you. And he's going to achieve it by going to the cross. Today, if you mourn your own sin, you can have the good life of no regrets, regardless of how heavy and hard your story is. But there's also this communal sin that we need to repent of. Um, And goodness, as I was doing this, I was like, man, we just, we could do a whole series on this one topic. It's really hard for me to hit it. But Nehemiah is an example of somebody who actually does repentance on behalf of a people. He looks at like the, the walls of his city that need to be rebuilt, but he connects it to sin. He connects it to his own personal sin, the sin of his father's. And so there's a real biblical model and paradigm. Jesus does this even when he comes and looks at Jerusalem. He mourns over a people. There's a real aspect to corporate lament that that we want to do. And that's what Lisa and Sarah led us through the the, the liturgy that Ben did. That's why on days like ML, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Day, we can actually let the calendar remind us that we, we need to lament some of our history. Our tears still need to be lubricating histories. We need so that we can move forward because there's much more healing to do. And as the Sanctity of Life Sunday, which is today, is it today? Uh, Reminds us that we have tears. We need to cry over the unborn who are being murdered. and, And our nation, do you know what happens with guilt that gets stuffed? You get a seared conscience. Our nation has a seared conscience over the death of unborn kids. So there's that communal piece. I heard a story of uh, one of the co-founders of the Salvation Army. His name is William Booth. And it connected to what I would call missional mourning. He, uh, he was in correspondence with two women, Kate and Mary Jackson. I believe they were sisters, I'm not sure. But they were in this city, in a very poor city. The whole town is in a poverty level and Kate and Mary Jackson are laboring there for years with these very poor, hurt, wounded, neglected people. And they're exhausted, these two women. And so they write, William Booth, would you kindly move us to another place? Would you kindly move us to another station? We're so tired and disheartened. We've tried everything that we've been taught to do. Please move us to another location. And William Booth sends back a telegram with two words. He says, try tears. And there's a story. They begin to cry and they saw revival come in a whole city two women who began to cry. Those girls went to travailing prayer, not just prayer, but travailing prayer, prayer with anguish in it. The road to revival is often paved with tears and brokenness. That story is by a man named Leonard Ravenhill who is talking about 
revival. And that the way for revival of a city can be tears. can be tears. Last thing I'm going to give us, I think, is this metaphor that we get in Romans of a picture of redemptive mourning. Redemptive mourning. Jesus invites us in the work of the cross and this mourning over brokenness. And Paul gives us this metaphor that mourning is like childbirth. And my wife, the closest woman in my life, has, t- has talked to me a lot through her three, uh, three uh, experiences of giving birth of this connection between childbirth and this labor and redemptive mourning. And then another very close sister, uh, Lisa, who experienced the loss of a husband, if you don't know her story a few years ago, she's talked about her process of grief as being this labor, this childbirth. She got to speak at a women's conference last year, and so she asked me to walk, walk through her notes with her, so we're like trying to figure out how to, how to, how to categorize all this stuff about grief. And, and then she landed on, you know what? I'm going to do this whole thing around the framework of childbirth. And so all of her notes were like contraction number one, contraction number two, which I thought was really beautiful. And I, re- I read through your notes last night and couldn't find like a, it's just, I just wanted to give the whole sermon to, to everyone. But she had contraction number one, contraction number two. And so I'm, I'm saying this in part because like I'm not going to stand up here as a man and tell you what, how childbirth relates to laboring. But these two women who are dear to me talk about childbirth in the way that, that we see in Romans 8, 22, verse 22, 23, 26. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. uh, Verse 26, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The tears of giving birth, the reason it's such a helpful metaphor is because in, in a healthy birth, those tears end, end in joy. They end in joy. It's weeping that's not meaningless. It's weeping that is going to give new birth. And this is important. We grieve First Thessalonians says, not like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So as we cry and as we labor, as we, as we groan over all the brokenness, we, we groan like, like a woman who is giving birth, pregnant with hope. Ultimate hope, but also present hope. Present healing can happen. So I'm gonna pause. I went... A little bit longer than I wanted already. But I'm going to walk down here. And we do, have, we do have some time. Because we really want to have dialogue during this sermon series. So those questions, you can throw them back up. How is the Spirit challenging you? How is the Spirit comforting you? 
and remind us of some of the things that were said last week of why we're, why we're doing this. Uh, the reason we want dialogue is because we long for formation, not just information. That we don't want to just be consumers of sermons, but that when we hear the Spirit's voice, we want it to draw us into conversation and response and to obedience. Second reason is invitation. We recognize that my voice or any other elder's voice is not the most important voice in the room. It's the spirit of God who has things that he wants to say through his word, through sometimes me, but maybe through others. We need space to listen to him. Uh, I'm gonna come down as a sign of like sermons on pause, right? It's a time of dialogue, but it's not a free-for-all. Talked about this last week. We don't believe it, it that... We just can go into chaos. So intentionally it'll be Ben again this time. We have like elders up here who are ready to listen and possibly shepherd or slow down or say, hey, we might want to talk about that in a different space because we want to talk appropriately about things. Um, it isn't a moment for you to preach your sermon on grief, okay? It's not that moment, but we do want to hear your voice on, on grief. Um, I want to remind you that your sharing might, in, might be what someone needs to hear today. I actually heard a couple people say, oh, I wanted to share, but then someone said it. And you can actually just say, I wanted to say that. That was awesome because that's exactly what I wanted to say. And if you say that, suddenly we have a theme. We have like God speaking in a theme because like four people said, oh, that's what I was hearing. Okay. That's why we're doing this. Uh, let's see, anything else? Okay, just a reminder that this isn't on the podcast. And for those of you listening on the podcast, that's intentional. We want this to be a safe place. So it's not gonna be recorded and transmitted. Those of you who are listening on the podcast, we wish you were here. And we grieve that you can't be here. Uh, goodness, I'll see if there's anything else I need to say. I'm gonna pray, Ben, can you come up and grab the whiteboard? And so anything that the Spirit is challenging you with and anything that um, the Spirit is comforting you with, we need both. We need correction and comfort. Let me pray, and then I'm going to open this up as, as Ben sets up the, uh, the whiteboard. Jesus, thank you that you say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Thank you that you know all our stories. I ask that right now you would continue to speak. We have a few minutes. We have some time set aside for you to continue to speak. And some people need to hear comfort that hasn't yet been said. So I ask that you would speak. Help us steward our time well. Pray that voices would be heard and shepherded well. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your tears. I don't know. I can see all the tears. You guys can't. There are a lot of tears that happened today. Thank you for your gift, your presence. Thank you for your patience as we learn how to steward our gathering time. Because it is really late. And we told um, those who are discipling our kids that we would pick up our kids in three, literally two, one seconds. So now. So here's what we're going to do. Because we want to honor that. Um, we, I am going to dismiss every parent who needs to, to go get their kids. 
But I love this response time. It's so much, it's like very relaxed and real. So it makes perfect sense that some of us can stay in this room and take communion and talk together. And Alex sing over us, perhaps lead us. Some of you might grab your kids and come back because you want to partake in the Lord's Supper. Some of you might be like, that would be the worst idea ever. I need to get my kids to the car. So you can do that, okay? So it's gonna be a very loosely guided response time. I'm gonna ask George and somebody else to go in the back corners, because uh, I saw you ready to get up, for prayer. If you just need prayer, if you just need to talk to somebody, uh, actually, I'm gonna go back to the other one. Um, and if you can grab anyone you want, but if you're like, I, I need to talk to someone, I need prayer, go there, okay? And then um, I'm gonna invite you to the table. Last tiny word, because what's hard about what we're doing right now is that it requires a familial safety. And so people that are coming in are gonna be like, what in the world? Like, I don't know if I'm ready for this possibly, or like, I really want this. If that's you, or if you know of people, we want, we're willing to, to risk that. We want it. We believe that this gathering is for the edification of the saints to be sent into all aspects of ministry in other places, but be mindful of people that might come in. Be mindful right now of people, you might wanna check in like, how was that for you? You don't really know many people in the room. How was that for you, okay? Um, good. I'm gonna invite us to the table. Go get your kids if you need to. I'm gonna invite us to the table. Last week, Ben gave this metaphor of like, we think we're on crutches, but we actually need to realize it's more like we need to collapse into a wheelchair. That's the growth of a Christian, neediness. As I was preparing this, Karl Marx said to this kind of talk, that's just the opiate of the masses. That's just you guys numbing your pain. And I think it's a similar thing to say, <laughs> no, it's so much more. It's longing for the great physician to sit by our bed and to actually give us the real miracle drug of healing. Like it's real. It's his presence. So Jesus says that in part, the way we practice this is to come to the table and remember what it cost him. He is a suffering servant. He, know, he knows all of our pain. And as he was going to the cross, there's a strange story in Luke where people are crying over him. And he says, don't mourn for me. Mourn for yourself and for your children. So as you come, this, is a, this isn't a mourning feast. We mourn over our own sin, but not with those without hope. We mourn over our own stories and our tragedy and the wounds of our fathers and our moms, but not with those without hope. So if you can, if you can linger, come to the table. I'm gonna read, read Jesus' invitation and then feel free. You can take it out into the hall if you want and, and pray with someone and, and talk with someone.